What's up, Four Points? Hope everybody's doing well this morning. So excited about week five of Address the Mess. Listen, before I get started, I just want to ask you guys to do me a favor, and that's to remember our students and our volunteers and everybody that's down at Daytona Beach this week. Y'all, beach retreats were a huge impact on my life, and I believe that God is going to use this, this week for our kids and our adults in a great way. And so I just want y'all to join me in praying for our young people and remembering that this is an awesome opportunity. I also want to just say this, how grateful I am for the adults that left at 5 a.m. this morning, have given up a week of their vacation, and I just think it's awesome. And so I just want to say on behalf of the staff and the leaders how much we appreciate you guys giving up your time, and we love them. And so I'm excited. Let's get started today with Address the Mess. Now, um, in this series, what we've done is we've looked at messes in our lives, and we've kind of used Psalm chapter 1 as the, as the takeoff point of how we can address these messes because Psalm 1 starts with David saying, if you'll avoid these things, if you'll avoid these things in verse 1, he says, if you'll avoid these things, then, then that's going to be good because blessed is the man that does not do these things in verse 1. And then verse 2 says, but he delights in God, in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on him day and night. So he thinks of him, considers him, and he constantly stays with him. And then verse 3 says, this is what it'll be like. Unlike this, unlike this mess, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of fresh living water, that, that God will constantly renew you and that you'll have, you'll have new fruit in every season. And so that's the goal for our lives, right? That we, that we, can look at the messes inside, not necessarily the fruit on the outside, and say, let's deal with this. Let's deal with the issues. Let's, let's go with this. And so I think a lot of you guys have enjoyed this series. I've gotten a lot of great feedback. We've all gotten great feedback. But today, I really believe, can be a turning point for some of you. This message in particular has meant a lot to me because I've looked at my own life and I've said, man, this one hits home. This is really where I'm at. And the title of today's message is, It's Not My Mess. So look at your neighbor and say, come on, somebody say, it's not my mess. Do it again. Say, it's not my mess. It's not my mess. Whenever I think about it's not my mess, the first thing that comes to my mind is growing up with siblings. Now, I don't know if you guys have siblings, but if you do and you grew up in the house with a brother or a sister or cousins or you have people over all the time, y'all remember this. Y'all remember this. At the end of the day, when it was time to go to bed, or in the very first part of the morning when your mom woke up before you did, and she looked around the house and she said, this place is a mess. We're going to clean it up. Mark, Melinda, Melanie, and my family, clean up this mess. You know when I got really mad? I got really mad when it wasn't my mess. You know what I said to my mama? Ah, it's not my mess. I'm not cleaning this up. Melanie and Melinda did this. I don't play with Barbies. Come on, somebody. I did, th those are not mine. Why would you make me do what's not even mine? Now, all of us have been there before. We all get frustrated because we're like, why are you telling me to clean this mess up? Like, that's not even my junk. And all of us feel the tension of when, when, when I have to deal with something that's not even mine to deal with, right? Like, a, another one that comes to my mind is if you have a job and you share a refrigerator with other people, like the community refrigerator, that stuff seems like it grows in there. There are 47 ketchup bottles in that refrigerator, and, there, and there's a, a thing of pudding from two years ago. And we look at it, and we all, we all open the refrigerator, and we go, good gosh almighty, and it starts stinking bad. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's gross, and you look in there and go, somebody needs to do something about this, but it's not my mess, right? 
It's not mine to clean up. I don't need to worry about this. And so whether it's, it's family growing up or friends or even in your neighborhood, <clears throat> even in your neighborhood, when you pass by somebody and you look at their grass and you think, that ain't my mess. I don't, have to, I don't have to mow their grass. I don't have to clean up their toys. I don't have to clean up that refrigerator. All of us can understand from a personal perspective, like, this isn't my mess. But, but what about in our personal lives? What about in our personal lives? What about when it comes to me? And when I deal individually with people, because this is kind of how life feels to me, y'all. Do y'all understand that in the South, now I don't know if this is this way around the world, I don't even know if it's this way in the north and in the west, but I know this about us, that when we greet people, we ask one question. We, we don't say good morning typically. We don't say good afternoon typically. We don't greet people with just a greeting. We say, how you doing? 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 Right? We always ask people, how we doing? Now, I've noticed this about me. It's hard for me to even greet somebody without saying, how are you? How are you? How you doing? And the automatic response is fine, 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 good, good, great, good, fine. Because it's like, it's our natural instinct to just want to ask and then get. It's not even, and here's the reality. This is what I've learned about me. I'm not really asking how you're doing. It's just the way that I say hello to you. I could say hello, hello, hello. But instead I say, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? And and so most of the time, we're just programmed, right? We, we just have our lives programmed to, in, in such a way that we just know how you doing is the thing that's going to come out of my mouth. A lot of times when someone says, how you doing, we say, how you doing, right? And so we get this back and forth thing. We never answer the question. But if we do answer the question, it's understood that we're not supposed to tell them about our mess. We're supposed to say, I'm fine. I'm good. And in the rare times that someone does say, I'm terrible, it feels like someone pulled the rug out from under me, right? And I go, you weren't supposed to tell me that. That's not my mess, right? I mean, what I was asking you is how you doing, but what I meant was just say hello, I'm doing good, and keep walking. Because in our lives, what we do is we, 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 we tend to get so rut-oriented with what we do, with what's going on in us, that when I'm good, I expect that you're good. I assume that everything's fine with your life if it's fine with mine. And so the awkward nature is when someone will actually tell you the truth, which is sad because we should want that. But in reality, that's not really what we're after. What we're after is you just tell me you're fine, I'll tell you I'm fine, and we'll keep doing our own thing. We'll mind our own business because that's not my mess. Now, I think most of us have good intentions in our lives. And so if we find out that a friend's in need, and it's a tragic event or something's going on. Now, we'll, we'll go and we'll say, even though that's not my mess, I'll go try to help you. So most of us are not so callous that we're unwilling to go help in a situation. But, but, let the situation not be what I'm struggling with, or let me say it differently. Let the situation be something that I've never struggled with. And then we got a problem. Then we got an issue. Like, for example, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the mugshots page on goupstate.com. And some of y'all are thinking, I'm uncomfortable right now because I've been in that before. But I don't get on it. Every once in a while, 
I'll see it pop up on social media or something like that, but I typically don't get on it. But when it comes to not my mess, when it comes to I, I just want you to tell me you're fine, what do we do when the mess around us shows up on mugshots for drug abuse? Because here's the deal, y'all. Let's put all the cards on the table. I've never done drugs. I've never struggled with alcohol. I've never been pulled over for DUI. I've never... I, and so whenever I see that, listen, listen, don't miss this. The natural tendency that we have is to say, what's wrong with them? Why are they in that mess? You know things that I've said? I actually preach this, y'all. I'm not proud of this, but I actually, I remember saying this about 10 years ago when I first started preaching. I remember saying things like, huh, well, God helps those who help themselves. And those people... I preached it in a church. What if that were true? I'm so thankful today, y'all, that that's not the truth, that, that it's not God helping those who can help themselves or who are willing to help themselves. God runs to our messes, and I'm thankful for that. But we don't act like he does when it comes to people's messes. Watch this, watch this, that are not ours. Because if your mess looks like my mess, I'm probably willing, especially in a tragic situation, to help you, but it's uncomfortable to run to your mess when your mess is much different than mine. It's uncomfortable to run to your mess if you don't look like me. It's uncomfortable to run to your mess if you don't sound like me, if you don't act like me, if you don't vote like me. And so whenever your mess doesn't make sense to my brain, because I know what I would do. So we say stuff, right? I think you'll understand what I'm saying. We say stuff like, like, how did they end up in this place? What's wrong with these people? Like, this, this is crazy talk. What is the problem. This is not my mess. And I can't relate to them and I can't make, and all of us have that feeling in our lives that we just don't really understand it. Now, in light of that, there's this really interesting story in the book of Luke. And so Luke was this doctor who was brilliant. And this is what he did in his life, y'all. I think this is so cool. He had very close friendships with a few of the disciples. And to find out all the stuff that Jesus did, he gathered information from these disciples, and he said, I'm going to put together, inspired by the Lord, I'm going to put together this summary of what Jesus did in his life, and he called it the book of Luke. So there you go. It was very original. And in the book of Luke, we find the story after story in the early chapters of these miracles that Jesus was doing. And in Luke chapter 7, you find Jesus healing this kid, watch this, who was dead. It says that Jesus raises the widow's son. He, he healed the sick. He had done all these things. And then you get to this encounter in Luke chapter 7 that's so interesting because it really defines it's not my mess. It really defines it. It's so interesting. And so I want you to watch with me or turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, and I want you to see this. In Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees, these religious leaders, y'all, this is so important for today's message. These religious leaders were high-ranking, very, very intelligent religious people. And it says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus, is who him is, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. Now, I need y'all to get this picture before we keep going. When the Bible says they reclined at the table, and this is a lot like what was taking place at the Last Supper, when Jesus was with his disciples, it's not like when we're at our table sitting in the chair that you're sitting in today or something similar to that. They literally would lay on the ground, have like a pillow under their arm, and they were laid back, everybody. They were chilling. 
And so this setting is so interesting because it appears there were lots of the guys in the room with them, high-ranking officials. And, and, and I, I'm going to guess that this wasn't egregious, this wasn't hateful, this wasn't like they were trying to get Jesus. They were just looking at him going, we want to find out more about this cat, so let's bring him in our home. And that's a great thing to do. That's really smart. And so, so they, you got this room full of, of, of leaders and, and, and Pharisees, and, and they bring Jesus in, reclining at the table. And behold, look at this, a woman of the city who was a sinner. It's so interesting how Luke wrote that. Because what we know about her, we're pretty sure that she was a prostitute. And so when it says who was a sinner, it doesn't just mean like you and I are sinners. It means that everybody knew who this woman was. Everybody knew that, that this woman was a prostitute and that she had no business. Matter of fact, we're pretty sure based on this that she had no invitation to this, y'all. It wasn't like everybody got their invitation in the mail to the dinner party, and so did she. She was the one that was on the mugshots list that I'm talking about earlier that we go, oh, no, that ain't my mess. And it says when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, you need to know this about the alabaster flask. A lot of y'all have heard this before, but listen, the alabaster jar was not just a jar of ointment. It was a one-year salary worth of fragrance that was very rare, and nobody just wasted it. But she brought it with her to this dinner, and standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with this ointment. So can you get this picture? Because this is craziness, y'all. This lady is wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair, with the tears and wiped them with her hair and anointed and kissed his feet. So, so you got to get this because it's so important for later. Nobody messed with feet back in that day. Like some of y'all are grossed out by feet today, but they really were. As a matter of fact, only a slave would touch somebody's feet. Only a slave. This was not the way to greet somebody. This is not what you did. This was showing that I am showing you adoration on a whole nother level. You are God, I am not, and this was craziness. And to the Pharisees, this was almost a heresy that they were doing. This was over-the-top craziness. You could not do this. This is nuts. And for a woman to take her hair down, that was her glory. And for her to take her hair down, like that, you couldn't do it. And she was showing so much humility. She literally did everything you could not do. And it says that the Pharisee named Simon, he said, when he saw this, the one who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, now remember that he said it to himself. Y'all, that's huge. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And can I be real with y'all right now? I understand this. I understand the tension of being in this room, having all your friends sitting around the table, looking around and going, what is this? Like, we wanted to learn about this Jesus dude, and he's letting this woman who was a prostitute kiss on his feet, cry, rub ointment that is $40,000, let's argue, for a year's salary and, and poured on him and it was wasting money. And like, like, but if he knew who this woman was, like, she's a sinner. This is bad. 
She was on mug shots. He ought not want to have anything to do with her. This is bad. And this was his thought, y'all. I want you to get this. She needs what I needed. She needs help. It, that ain't my mess, but she needs it. She needs what I used to need. I got a relationship with God now, so she needs what I needed, but she don't need it in here. And I feel like if he said it, he would think this to himself out loud. And, and I, I just, I just want to argue this today for us, y'all. Like if we were sitting in your house and this happened, I think all of us would say the same thing. Thank God that's not my mess. Like can you just pause with me for a second and be honest with yourself when you've seen a mugshot? And maybe it's not a mugshot. When you've heard rumors about what happened in an affair, Or when you've heard stories about how people's lives became in shambles, have you not thought to yourself what I've thought before? Thank God that's not my mess. They really need what I needed. But I want you to see the response of Jesus because this is so fascinating. It says, Jesus answering him. Now remember, this is the part of the story I start really liking because this is craziness. It does not say in verse 39 that he said this out loud. It said he thought it to himself, Right? And so it said, Jesus answered his thoughts. That ought to stop you right there in your tracks and say, I'm going to do whatever this dude says because he's crazy. He knows my thoughts, and he's answering my thoughts, and I didn't even ask him. And I don't know why this didn't freak Simon out, but apparently it didn't. But let me just keep going. It said, Jesus answering to him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so can y'all picture it? They're sitting at this table. All this stuff's going on. Simon's looking like this, going, what is he doing with this lady? This is crazy. And then he looks at Simon, who's looking at him like a crazy person, and said, I got something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. And then Jesus, being Jesus, doing what he does, does not say, I know your thoughts. This is what you're doing. He said, a certain money lender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other one 50. And that's just, a, uh, that's just some money, but the point wasn't how much is that. The point is one was 10 times more than the other one, right? And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, the one that I suppose for the one he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged correctly, you've judged rightly. You are right, is what Jesus was saying right there, right? He said, you're right. You got it. You hit the nail on the head. But then Jesus gets so crazy good with what he says right here, because watch this. Then, instead of continuing the conversation with Simon, he immediately looks at the woman who has cried, wept, poured out this, this oil that's a fragrant aroma that's crazy on the feet of Jesus that everybody's judging, everybody's looking at, and everybody's saying, she needs what I needed. She's, she's gross. I just, get, just, oh my gosh, can you believe? And they're whispering, look at what Jesus is doing right now. And the guy that's in the house is thinking, oh my gosh, you, you let her come in and this is nuts. And then Jesus looked at the woman, not at Simon. He turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? Now, let's be honest with ourselves. Clearly, Simon saw the woman. Simon thought about her. Simon said, if Jesus knew in his heart, this is what he was saying to himself. If Jesus knew what this lady was about, he wouldn't want nothing to do with her because he would have seen her on mugshots. He would have seen her awkwardness. He'd have seen that she was gross. He'd have seen, oh my gosh, he'd have heard the rumors. He'd have been, he'd have been grossed out and scared away. So, so this question wasn't, do you see this woman? 
can I tell you what I think Jesus was saying? Come on. Do you see her like I see her? Can you see what I see? Can you see in her the amazing abilities and change that she can have in me? Because he wasn't saying, do you see her skin? Do you see her face? Do you see her past? He was saying, no, do you see her the way that I see her? And listen to his response right after this, what Jesus said. Jesus said, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, which was just customary. It's what you did. If you entered a nobleman's home, you, you, you had your feet washed, maybe by a servant, but probably yourself just to do the right thing. That was customary. You did it. It was not out of the ordinary at all. And he said, but, it, but I got no water. You gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss with y'all. To us, that might seem a little weird because it's a dude looking at a dude saying, you didn't give me a kiss. But that was just like what we do with man hugs, right? That's a handshake. That's a, that's a greeting. Just in, in that day, it was no different. It, it was not what we think of as kissing and he said, you didn't greet me when I walked in the door, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with this ointment that is not just oil. It wasn't cheap. She showed unbelievable affection and adoration. Therefore, I tell you, her sins are many. He said, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, I want you to hear something real important right here. This is so big, y'all. Jesus was not arguing in this moment to Simon that he had not sinned much. Jesus was pointing out to Simon what many of us needed, point, excuse me, not needed, what many of us need to be pointed out to us. That it wasn't that he sinned none, and she sinned a ton. It was that he saw her sinning a lot. And he saw her himself not sinning much. This Pharisee was looking at himself going, well, I don't need to be forgiven as much as she does. Because she, she needs to be forgiven a lot. And then he looked at those who were at the table with him and began Excuse me, it says, then those at the table began with him began to say among themselves, who is this cat? Who is this Jesus dude that even forgives sins, that, that, he, that he's able to forgive people's sins? And he said to the woman, he didn't even acknowledge what they were saying. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. He said, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. And you know, when I consider my life, when I consider what I do, when I consider how I live my life and I drive by people every single day, even if it's people that I like, it's so easy to miss them because I'm doing my thing. But whenever it's someone that I think doesn't look or sound or act or think like me, the tendency is to do exactly what Simon did. And it's almost like we get in this Simon Says Christianity, right? 
that we do what he said and we do what he did. We begin to believe ourselves. And y'all, I've even thought about this so much this week that the church, capital C, from what the world's perspective is, is a bunch of people that stand up on a place like I'm standing and look down on people and think to themselves, she, she needs what I needed. She needs what I needed. She needs what I used to need. She needs what I needed 20 years ago when I got saved. She desperately needs... And, and, we, and we have good intentions, but then as soon as we find out the yuck about somebody, we say, it's not my mess. Thank God that's not my mess. It's not my mess. And we lounge at tables, y'all. We huddle in groups. We look around and we say, look at those sinners. Which is the exact opposite of what our God did. It's the exact opposite of what our God did. Because what our God did is totally different. And I'll never be able to see them the way that God wants me to see them until I see him the way that he wants me to see him. And I think really the question that Jesus was asking Simon in that moment, listen to me carefully, was not do you see her, but do you see me? Do you see me for what you should see me for? Because y'all, in this moment, I can promise you there's nobody in this room today who has the education of the Bible or the understanding of God like this man Simon did. He had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Y'all look at the first five books and say to yourself, that's not going to happen. And not just did he have them memorized, but he could speak them front and back. He knew every, every, every inch of every word on every single page of those scrolls back then. He knew so much more than he could, but he had no intimacy at all. And what Jesus was saying is, you can't see her because you can't see me. And whenever we look at them, the thems of the world, the mugshots of the world, the people that we say, that's not my mess, you clean it up, Melanie and Melinda. Y'all are the mess. You clean it up, neighbor. I have no idea what's going on in my neighbor's life. But I just know they need to go clean that mess up. I have no idea what's going on with my friend who got arrested last week's life. But I think if God will help those who help themselves, no! He runs to the mess. He, as a matter of fact, he became the mess. He addressed my mess by becoming the mess. He who knew no sin became sin so that I could be the righteousness of God. But until I can see you and them, through the lens of Jesus, I'll always see you as, you're not my mess. Until I can see the people that I interact with every single day as a child of God who was made in the image of God, who no matter what their mess is, is never too far from God. There's no one that's listening to me today, watching me online, or, or, or that'll ever hear this message two years down the road. Nobody is too far from the grace of God. If you still have breath in your lungs, God's love for you is still possible to change your life. It is far greater than we can imagine. But most of us, including me, limit what we believe about God. And we show it based on how we view 
other people. And you know, one of our core values at Four Points has to do with love. We love like crazy here. And if you love me back, I really do love people, y'all. I love people. I love to be around you. I love to give y'all a hug around your neck. I love to care when there's a time of great need. But the conviction that I have in my heart is if we ever want to be like him, we have to see them in their mess and see Jesus anyway. And so I wanted to tell some people here today that you're the mugshot person. I wanted to talk to some people today that you know you loved much. And what he meant by that, what Jesus was saying there is what we call, and I'm not making light of this. This is literally what we say. That one's rode hard and put up wet. That's a sad thing to say, y'all. That's what we would have said about this lady reclining at the table that we talked about just a minute ago. Can I tell you something? Jesus came for you. Jesus came for you. And he wants you to know this. If you were the only person on this planet, his love for you would have still been the same and he still would have come to rescue you. And he did it like this. This is how Jesus addressed the mess. By getting up on a cross and letting nails go through his hands and feet. By declaring that it is finished. And what was finished was not his life, but but your mess, when you receive him. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave and said, you can have life in my name. But you've got to let him address your mess by saying, I'm a mess, I'm a sinner, and I need you to save me right now. I need you to save me right now. And you know what? I want to say something to Christians because there's a lot of you in here that you remember how much you needed Jesus but here's how I think you can come back to Jesus and be all that God called you to be is remember that it's not just them that need Jesus. I desperately need Jesus today. It's not a they need what I needed. It's a they need what I need. And if you want to come back and have a brand new fresh relationship with God where you can walk with him every day, you've got to see what you used to be and now what you can be is only as a result of him addressing your mess. And so my need for Jesus today didn't stop. My need for Jesus today is just as great as it was the day that I got saved. I don't have to be what I was, and I'm not what I was, but my need has not gone less. If anything, y'all, I believe it's even more today because I see even more of the mess that I am. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself this honest question. Is this my mess? Is my mess my mindset that I believe that somebody else will take care of it? Somebody else will fix it? Somebody else will do it? And I can't associate with those, these people? Is my problem that I'm one of those people? that I believe I'm too far from God, that if they knew what I had done, they'd never want me to walk in this church because the, it, it's rare that a week goes by that I don't hear somebody that I invite to church say that. Well, if that's you, this is what I want you to do. I want you the best way you know how 
to just say, Jesus, I want you to address my mess right now. Come on, pray it right now in your heart. Jesus, I'm giving you my life. You address my mess on the cross by shedding your blood. And today I receive your forgiveness and your grace in my heart once for all time. I receive your love, your mercy, and your tenderness. I love you back, Jesus. I love you back. And if you, if you pray that, but more importantly, if you mean in your heart that God saved you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your worship guide. And on your worship guide where it says, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior today, I want you to check that box, fill it out, and give it back to us so that we can help you take your first steps with Jesus, so that we can begin to walk with you because you don't need what I used to need. We all need a relationship with God. And then to walk together in communion, in harmony in Christ Jesus. And so we want to celebrate with you, and we will celebrate with you, but we also want to walk with you. And we have a gift for you. And so I want you to fill that card out and either drop it in the box on the way out the door or take it to the next steps table as soon as the service is over and let us give you a gift and celebrate like crazy with you. I love you guys. I can't wait to see you back next week. Now let's stand and worship together.